I was recently doing some research for our Tuesday morning Bible class on the book of Judges. And I was doing some research regarding Samson. Samson, as you may recall, is mentioned alongside some real spiritual giants in the New Testament. Samson is mentioned alongside such great heroes of the faith as Abraham, Moses, David, some of the others in Hebrews 11. And yet if you know the story of Samson, you know that in his later adult life, he made some really bad choices. He made some choices that were against what God wanted later on in life and pretty well known and well documented. So the question is, why is Samson there in Hebrews 11 in what we call that great heroes of the faith hall of fame? Why is he there? After some of those choices he made in his later adult life, one commentator I read sought to answer that question with these words. He says, let it be remembered that it is of Samson's activity as a judge and under the impulse of the Spirit of God we are writing and not of every act of his life. In fact, we shall presently distinguish two periods in his history. The first, when he acted under the influence of the Spirit. The second, when yielding to his passions, he fell successively into sin, unfaithfulness to his calling, and betrayal of it, followed by the desertion of Jehovah and by Jehovah God's judgment. And assuredly, the language in Hebrews could not apply to the period of Samson's God desertion and of his punishment, but only to that of his first activity or of his later repentance. In other words, making that a little simpler, the bottom line is, is that Samson had a really good start in life. Samson had a great start in life. If you read the story of Samson, you will find out that he had very faithful parents, faithful parents who sought to guide him in the truth. And in the beginning, Samson even allowed the Spirit of God to lead him, and he was submissive to it. The first part of his life is why he is listed in Hebrews 11, in that great faith chapter. But after Samson became an adult, he began making some terribly selfish and sinful choices. And despite the great start that Samson had, again, if you know the story, you know that Samson eventually fell into sin and had some terrible things happen in his life title of this morning's sermon is Dealing with the Heartache of Unfaithful Adult Children. The reason that I preach it this morning is twofold. Twofold. I know that we have some parents this morning in this assembly who are parents of out-of-service adult children, maybe wayward, maybe completely unfaithful. And I know that such parents often struggle with guilt 
They often struggle with self-blame. They struggle over their own perceived failures when it comes to their children's upbringing and those children's subsequent sinful adult choices. The first thing I want to say this morning in that light and to those parents is this. No parent is perfect. No parent is perfect. No parent is super parent. All of us, as we look back at the way that we raised our kids, those of us who had kids or have kids, as we look back, all of us could have probably done better in some way or fashion. I know the man who's standing before you this morning, as I look back on my life and my kids, there are some areas that I could have done better. We all probably can look at those areas and say, yeah, I, I, could have, I, I could have done better. And it's true, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes when we do the best we can, as we look back later on, we say, well, you know, I, I messed that up some. But while that's true, and none of us are perfect, I think that sometimes one of Satan's greatest weapons for immobilizing us one of Satan's greatest weapons for seeking to destroy faithful, although admittedly imperfect parents, is to try to get us so overwhelmed and so engulfed with misplaced guilt for some of the choices that our kids make later on, and for which we are not responsible and for which we are not responsible that it cripples us in our Christianity. How many times has God got to tell us that what adults do after we have raised those children to adulthood, that what adults do as our adult children is on them? How many times has God got to tell us? If you're taking notes, take these down. In Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 20 through 21, this is what it says. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. God also says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, so then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I do not have to give an account for my wife. My wife does not have to give an account for me. I do not have to give an account for my adult children who have made their own choices in the age of accountability. Each one of us shall give an account of himself to God, Romans 14 and verse 12. This is why when it comes to elders and deacons, the scripture is very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that both elders and deacons must rule their own house well, verses 4, 5, and 12. Why is it worded that way? Why doesn't it say they must rule over their children no matter what age? 
Because God in his wisdom knows that once our children become adults, they're going to make decisions for which they are accountable. That's why the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's why it says in those three verses, verses 4, 5, and 12, that elders and deacons must rule over their own house. As long as those children are in the house and mom and dad have authority in that house, then those children must behave in the way that they should and the responsibility is on dad and mom, dad in particular, as long as they're in the house. But once they become adults, they're going to make some decisions on their own. And so one of the things I want to accomplish with this lesson this morning, one of the two, is to help those hurting parents. I want to help those heartbroken parents of wayward adult children, at the very least, at the very least, to realize that even the best of faithful and godly parents often raise up children who in their adulthood choose to make some terribly ungodly decisions which their parents in their faith would never support, condone, or approve of, nor are those parents responsible for. That's number one. The second thing I want to accomplish with this lesson this morning, number two, is to try to impress upon our young people to try to impress upon our youth that the fact that none of them, none of them, no matter how faithful their parents may be, no matter how faithful their grandparents may be, none of them are immune from being tempted to make bad choices later on in life. None of them are immune from falling away. None of our young people later on as they become young adults, are immune from being swept away into a terribly destructive lifestyle that can, in the end, if not repented of, cost them everything. And their faithful and loving parents, you young people, I don't care if you're 8, 9, 12, 15, 20, understand, please, this morning, that your faithful, godly, loving, and adoring parents know that you're going to be tempted to make wrong decisions and they want to save you from that at all cost. This is why Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 says, Children, <clears throat> obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Your parents want your life to be well. They want your life to be good. And so listen to what they have to say. Because as wise King Solomon said in Proverbs 13 and verse 15, good understanding gains favor. But the way of the unfaithful is hard. The way of the unfaithful is hard. Is that biblical? Is it right? The way of the unfaithful is hard. It may be promised to be this wonderful thing, but it's hard, God says. Do you know how Solomon began that proverb? Proverbs chapter 13. Do you know how he began the chapter? Here's how he began. Verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen 
to rebuke. The bottom line, young people, whether you believe it or not, you may find this really, really difficult to comprehend. But believe it or not, your parents were once your age. And they have made their mistakes because they're human. And if they are now faithful in Christ Jesus, it means that they have learned from those mistakes and they either have repented of them or are repenting from them. And contrary to cultural philosophy, it seems like every commercial you see on TV today, you know, the kids are running the asylum. You know, the 10-year-old smarter than the dad. That one comes on about the tickets. Drives me insane every time I see it. This 10-year-old kid, 15, whatever he is, you know, he's so much smarter than mom and dad. And he knows all about this and that one. And, and it's all, you know what, that's, the, that's what the culture tells us. But you know what? Life experience matters. Life experience matters. And your parents are trying to impart some of that wisdom to you that they have learned through life in order to save you some of the pain and some of the struggles and some of the heartaches that they have had to go through. So as we begin this lesson, let me first say to the parents of adult wayward children, number one, and I know I've had number one several times, but it looks right on my notes. <laughs> number one, parents, you are not alone. If you have wayward children, you are not alone. This problem is as old as the very first earthborn children. Did you know that? Cain and Abel, right? You know the story. The very first two children, Cain and Abel. What Cain do? Killed Abel, right? So well, mom and dad real happy about that? Well, mom and dad said, hey, why don't you go kill your brother and we'll all have a party. Didn't work that way. This problem is as old as the first earthborn children. In fact, speaking of how you're not alone if you have wayward children, <coughs> This morning, I'm going to do something I seldom do in this sermon. I'm not going to take time to read a lot of scripture because I found so many instances of exactly what we're talking about that I'm just going to highlight them and put them up on the slide because I don't have time to read them all. You are not alone. If your kids as adults have made decisions that contrary to their raising. The second thing I want you to know is neither are your wayward children's or child's unfaithfulness, neither is it necessarily connected to the inevitable mistakes that you made in their upbringing. It's not necessarily connected to that at all. And let me, let me tell you why I say that. I knew years ago of a preacher, dynamic preacher of the gospel, raised in a faithful, godly household, parents and members of the church. His brother was doing a life sentence for murder. Same two. Same house. You can have four children, three children, four children. You can raise them the same way. And you may have one or two that are as faithful as the day is long. You may have one that is far removed as they can possibly be from the truth when they become adults and you'll have everything else in between. Remember the parable of the sower? Remember the four? Remember the four parable of sower? The rocky ground, all that different ground and all of that. Children are the same way. You can raise them with the same seed. The seed is the word of God, Luke 8 and verse 11. You can raise them with the same seed. 
But as you cast that seed, it depends on the soil in their hearts and even children that are biologically of the same family, or not biologically, but still of the same family, they're going to receive that seed different. They're going to do different stuff with it. All you can control is that you give them the seed, but what they do with it, it's up to them. Listen. If children, parents, saying, well, I don't know if Doug's good. I don't know if he's right or not. Well, first off, I don't have to be right. The Bible is. Consider this. If children are solely the product of their upbringing and parental example, in other words, if you have wayward children and, and you think, well, you know, that's all on me. It's not, as we've discussed, but, but think about this. If children are solely the product of their upbringing and parental example, then how do you explain good King Josiah? Remember King Josiah? Story of King Josiah, I'm not going to turn there, but it's in 2 Kings 22 and 23. It's in 2 Chronicles 34 and 5. Okay? His father was an evil man. King Ammon, 2 Chronicles 33, 21 through 23. His father was a despot. His father was bad news. And yet... King Josiah turned into one of the best kings that there ever was. So if parental example is the only thing that determines adult child outcome, what happened? You explain that to me. I'll tell you what happened. When King Josiah got to be an adult, he made the decision to follow the good steps, footsteps of his father David. That's what happened. He made the decision. He wasn't going to be like his dad. He made an adult decision for which his father was not responsible. But before we leave the example of Cain and Abel behind, young folks, let me allow, the, allow me to point this out to you real quick. You want to understand how the way of the unfaithful is hard? The story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, verses 13 and 14, after Cain has killed Abel and God punishes Cain, then Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. What's Cain saying? Life's going to be miserable. After... God's punishment on me for what I did. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I'll be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. What did he say? He said, life's going to be tough because of what I've done. Another example that many a faithful parent of an wayward adult can identify with is the one that I said that we started with, the story of Samson. If you were to read Judges, chapters 13 and 14, you'd see that Samson had a great start in life, as I said. He had very faithful, reverent, God-fearing parents. He had parents who sought to guide him in the way, guide him in the paths of righteousness. We would also note, if we were to read those two chapters, in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 13, it says, the Lord blessed him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Yeah, he had a great start. But as you begin to read through the rest of that story, and especially as you get up into chapter 16, you'll see that Samson made some disastrous choices based on his own wants and desires instead of listening to everything that God wanted for him to do. And in the end, it cost him everything. Judges 16, 21. 
Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. What was considered women's work or slaves' work in those days, they put his eyes out. You know, I hear sometimes with these people that are welders and they get like a piece of steel in their eye and they have to go in with a drill into the eye and, and get it out. Now I'll tell you what, those boys are a lot tougher than I am because I don't even like needles. But I can't imagine what it would be like to have your eyes put out. And I don't think they were probably gentle. Certainly not the plan mom and dad had for him when he started out. If you read the rest of chapter 16, it appears, it appears that Samson may have repented in some form or fashion right before he died, but he still had a terribly painful ending to what started out as a life of blessing and promise. You know why? Because the way of the unfaithful is hard. But he's not the only child who had a great start in life with God, but who grew up to make his own choices and disobey God and greatly anger God. Another one of those was Solomon. Story of Solomon, 1 Kings chapters 3 through 11. In chapter 3, as you'll recall, Solomon, as a young lad, prays for wisdom to rule over God's people, and God is very pleased with Solomon's prayer, and, and he gets this wisdom, and because he's only asked for wisdom to rule over God's people, he gets all this wealth, and, and God just dumps the blessings on him. If you read on more in the story of Solomon, you will find out that up in chapters 6 through 8, he builds the temple of God. He builds it, dedicates it, blesses it. It's a wonderful thing. He's going good. Turn to me in your Bibles to chapter 11, though. In 2 Kings, I'm sorry, in 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. By the time we get up there, says in verses 1 and 2, 1 Kings 11, For King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and his heart was turned away from God. And so down in verses 9 and 10, it says this. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Solomon had a great start, but he made some decisions in his adult life that cost him deeply. If you read the rest of chapter 11, go home this afternoon, read the rest of chapter 11, you'll see that life got very difficult from that point on for wayward, for wayward Solomon, the unfaithful son of David who started out so blessed. Now, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it would appear as if, and it's hard to, to put Ecclesiastes exactly in the chronology of Solomon where it goes, but it would appear if you read Ecclesiastes, at least some think, that David later on, after he'd acquired all this stuff and all these wives and women and all this sort of stuff, that he repented. But in the meantime, 
he found out that the way of the unfaithful is hard, 1 Kings 11. It's interesting. <laughs> Solomon we just read about. You know who wrote Proverbs 13? Solomon. Same Solomon. Solomon knew what he was talking about. But the parents of, I'm sorry, this pattern of adult children once grown, straying from the standard of their upbringing and their parents' obvious hopes for them is not limited to one or two incidences. They're, they're throughout the Bible. For example, you can read about David's son and about Solomon's half-brother Absalom in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. And you would see that in his young adulthood, Absalom, in his greed and his envy and his pride and his jealousy for his father's power and position cost him everything. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 15, would you please? 2 Samuel chapter 15. Read just a few verses here. Whoops. 2 Samuel chapter 15, look at this. Verse 1, after this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Absalom would rise early, stand beside the way to the gate. So it was, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? He'd say, your servant is from such and such tribe of Israel. Then Absalom, Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, and I'd give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, he'd put out his hand, take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. His father David was king. He was jealous and envious of the power that his father, no, he wanted that power and he'd do anything to get it. What Absalom does in this chapter that we just read, that's not David's fault. That's not what David wanted his son to do. That's not David's fault. This is an adult choice that Absalom makes. Now, Absalom might have wanted to pin the problem on David. Well, this is my father David's fault. Self-justification or whatever, but it wasn't David's fault. Sometimes young men want all the respect and recognition that an older man has worked hard to acquire, that they are unwilling to work hard enough to acquire, and so they seek to steal it like Absalom did in, in some way. Didn't work out so well for Absalom, did it? 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 9 through 15 shows us that no, it cost him his life. You know why? Because the way of the unfaithful is hard. There's something else we see in 2 Samuel 18, 24 through into chapter 19. We see that it wasn't David's plan for his son at all. It wasn't David's will. As a matter of fact, David comes absolutely unglued even though his son had chased him off his throne, chased him out of Jerusalem, even though his son was out to kill him, when his son died, 
The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son. What Absalom had done was not David's will, was not David's fault. It was an adult decision his son had made and it tore David in two. This kind of parental love right here that David had for his son, Absalom would never understand that. If you read 1 Kings chapter 12, you'll see that King Rehoboam was an adult son of Solomon. And when he became king, what he did was he had the chance to listen to all of the counselors that had helped his father reign over the kingdom, that had counseled his father and given them wise counsel. And so he decided to totally disregard them and listen to his young peer group, listen to other inexperienced men. And he decided to go with what they wanted. He made an adult decision. Now that's not what Solomon would have had him do. Certainly Solomon would have said, yeah, follow, you know, the guys who've always helped me. But Rehoboam did not do that. And it cost him far more than he bargained for, for the way of the unfaithful is hard. But you know, this isn't just an Old Testament thing. We would note the story of the rich young ruler in the New Testament. He was a young adult who had been raised right. You remember what he said when Jesus came to him, or when he came to Jesus, came running out on the road, and, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You guys know the story, right? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And so he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. Was he raised right? He not only knew what the commandments were, he had kept them from his youth. This boy had been raised right. But as a rich, young ruler, as this young adult who had been raised right kept those commandments he decided to walk away from God in the flesh because his love for what he had surpassed the love of the Lord or his love for the Lord which he had just come in contact with his love for what he had surpassed his love for the Lord that he had been raised to honor and obey. But he made an adult decision to go against that. And then, of course, the most familiar one, quite likely, is the story of the prodigal son. A young adult, a young adult who had been raised in his father's house, had it made. Certainly his father had wonderful plans for this young man, but this young man, as a young adult, decided to go out and live a life in pursuit of personal pleasure. He decided that personal pleasure was worth far more than being home with his father. He decided that he was going out into the world to see what that was all about. And certainly that wasn't what his father wanted for him. And so he went off. You know what happened? He's out in the pig pen longing, Jewish boy, pig pen, right? And he's longing to eat from the pods that the pigs are eating. Now, those of you who've had pigs, not necessarily show pigs who are raised like Cadillacs, you know, that sort of, but I mean like the real, you know, grungy like pig pigs, you know. Our neighbor used to have them, you know, anyway, moving on. He's out there in the swine fields. And you know what he discovered out there as he's longing to eat their food? I'll tell you what he discovered. He discovered that the way of the unfaithful is hard. That's what he discovered. What's the twofold point of this sermon this morning? 
What are the two main points of emphasis? First off, I want to remind once again and encourage those hurting, faithful, heartbroken parents of wayward and unfaithful adult children among us, I want to remind you of several crucial, critical, vital things that you must take home from this lesson. Number one, again, you are not alone. You are not alone. You're not alone biblically. We've seen that this morning. Have we seen parents this morning in the Bible whose kids made adult decisions that cost them, that their parents didn't want them to make? Have we seen that? I'm pretty thorough, haven't we? You're not alone. You're not alone when it comes to biblical examples. You're not alone when it comes to God. How many wayward children does God have? Does God understand the heartbreak of having sons and daughters who walk away from the faith? Does he? If God don't understand it, well, you can throw everything away. How many hundreds, how many thousands of sons and daughters have been born again of the water and the spirit? They've become members of the family of God. They've clothed themselves with Christ. And for one reason or another, they've walked away from the faith once delivered. They've walked away from the house of God. They're not here with us this morning as we gather around the table in God's house. God knows. And you are not alone. You're also not alone congregationally. One of, the one of the greatest weapons of Satan is that sometimes he'll make us feel like we're the only ones going through something. And brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning, there's a number in this auditorium this morning who understand this pain. You're not alone. Biblically, as far as God the Father is concerned, or as far as some of your brethren who are sitting in these same pews this morning, you are not alone. Number two, that you must understand as a parent, of a wayward child. Despite your best of intentions, despite the blessings, despite the spiritual upbringings that you gave them, sometimes as young adults, some of our children are going to make decisions to disobey and disregard the God that they were raised with for the fleeting things this world has to offer. It's going to happen. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is still in the Bible. Number three, parents, another thing that you need to take home and that you need to understand, that their adult decisions are exactly that, theirs. Their decision. Did all of, you, all of you make a decision to be here this morning? Did you make a decision to be here? If you're here, you probably made a decision to be here, right? And there are those people that made a decision not to be here. Is that true? Are they responsible for your decision to be here? No, and you are not responsible for their decision not to be. For each one of us makes our own decisions. So that third point again, their adult decisions are just that, theirs, not yours, and you are not responsible for them. Because even if you were a terrible parent, like Ammon, 
Even if you were a terrible parent like Ammon, your children as adults can still decide to be adult children like Ammon's son Josiah and still do the right thing. You with me? Number four and final for parents. I would like to remind and encourage those who are parents of wayward and unfaithful adult children that in the case of Samson and in the case of Solomon, there is seemingly, seemingly some repentance toward the end, but surely, surely the prodigal son repented, didn't he? Came to his senses, came home to his father. The prodigal son came back. came back to the roots of his righteousness, and so there is always hope. We serve the God of all hope, don't we? Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. We serve the God of hope, and as long as we are here and we have the story of the prodigal son and we understand that sometimes they come to their senses and they come back home, and we need to pray that that happens. We need to pray for them that that happens. Now, that's four for the parents. These last few before we close are words for our young people, and I really hope you tuned in. I would like to remind and encourage our currently faithful and beloved young people, all of you, I want you to understand that God loves you more than you will ever understand until you meet him face to face. God loves you more than you can even begin to get your mind around. And I want you to understand that your Christian parents and every member of this congregation here at Shoto Hills loves you too. Right, parents? We love you too. And the things that we are trying to train you and teach you, the reason we have things like Tri-State, the reason we have things like Youth Group, and, and the reason that people are willing to volunteer their time to, to work with you in service projects and to teach you classes and to train you and to do all these things, the reason why is because both your parents and these saints here, your spiritual family at Shoto, we want you to have the healthiest, happiest, most joyful, beautiful life you can have. And we understand that only comes by following God. Because the way of the unfaithful is hard. Number two, if you don't think that the way of the unfaithful is hard. Let's say you're 9, 10, 12, 14, 16, somewhere in that range, 18. Let's suppose this morning that, well, you know, you don't, you don't think maybe the, the way of the unfaithful is that hard, and you don't really want to take my word for it. I have a suggestion. If you're in that age group, take the time after services. We're having fellowship dinner today. Take the time after services to go hunt down an older Christian who was not raised in the church. And you sit there and you talk to them about their life before Christ and their life now. You don't believe me that the way of the unfaithful is hard? 
Go during fellowship dinner and sit down next to a brother or a sister, an older member of this congregation who maybe was out of service for a number of years, and there's a few just like there is every congregation. Go sit next to them and ask them about it and listen to what they have to say. And they will tell you the same as Solomon seems to have done in the end as he wrote Ecclesiastes. They will tell you the same thing that Solomon did at the end of that book when he said, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. Also, I want to encourage you young folks, maybe, and older folks as well, to go home today and read Proverbs 1 through 10 and look at how Solomon, in 10 chapters of Proverbs, kept trying to instruct his son and help his son to have the most joyful life that he possibly could. knew it would work. I want to leave you with this final slide. Start as a young person. If you're one of those in that lower age group I mentioned this morning, start as a young person to learn and to grow and to work in the vineyard of the Lord. Make it your number one priority in life, young people, that you're not just going to do this now, but that you're going to embrace the word of God until your hands look like that. That you're going to embrace the word of God your whole life through. You know why? Because blessed are the faithful, which endure till the end. The lesson is yours. I hope you take it home today, and I hope that you are blessed and encouraged by it. If there's anybody here this morning that needs the prayers of the church, maybe it's some of you who still have young folks at home and you want to be a better parent. Maybe it's a young person who says, you know what, I haven't really taken Christ all that seriously, and I want to make the commitment, and I need the prayers of these older folks and these Christians who've lived through this and they've had their ups and downs, I, I need their prayers. Maybe that's you. If, if we can pray for you and help in any way, encourage you, strengthen you, or if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ to become a child of God, it'd be a great time to do that. Right, church? If you have a need this morning, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?